fire is what's being described here. Uh, Matt mentioned as we were beginning our song service that uh, this is a historic account. We often say the story of Christmas, which, you know, I guess that's okay. But this is a historic account. And in particular, the fact that it tells us that this is during the reign of Caesar Augustus has assisted many who have researched history and archaeological digs and otherwise to find supportive evidence. This is a true account. This is not something that was imagined and made up by followers of Jesus Christ. These people experience this, both believers and non-believers recorded these events. We have the recorded record of the scripture that we rely upon so heavily, but we should understand that Roman historians, senators of Rome, non-believers recorded these same and similar events from their perspective. So make sure that as you approach the scripture, you understand that this is a historic document. This census first took place while Quinarius was governing Syria. So even further uh, you know, detail as to the time and place in history. So all went to be registered, everyone to his own city. His city of birth is what Rome required. So the men of the families had to go and bring their family for this census. Joseph also went up from Galilee out of the city of Nazareth into Judea to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David. So about uh, 80 miles is what we're thinking. Um, Mary, very pregnant at this point, traveling on a donkey uh, through this wilderness to this city. Uh, ladies, you know how comfortable you get when you're that pregnant, you know, riding in a luxury vehicle can be taxing. The thoughts of getting in a vehicle can be taxing, let alone making this level of a journey. So because uh, he was of the house and lineage of, of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed wife, who was with child. Betrothal, we always take the opportunity to talk about what this means. Uh, generally speaking, a marriage in this culture usually went through three levels. Uh, often parents would arrange a marriage when a child was very young. Um, in this day and in this culture, those almost always followed through until the couple was together. But uh, there were occasions where the individuals, when they were older, made the decision that they didn't want to participate in that arranged marriage and wanted to be married to someone else. If the arranged marriage was going to be followed through, then the next phase was a betrothal. And that was a legally binding agreement where the two individuals would stand before the leaderships of their community and they would sign documents, not experiencing the intimacy of marriage yet, but making the legal commitment to, I am going to be married to this person, both of them would um, sign and confirm that they were committed to uh, being married. That usually took place a year later. Uh, in the interim, she's in the betrothal with Joseph. 
the angel comes and tells her that the Holy Spirit is going to cause her to become pregnant. And she does. And now they're traveling to this registration in the census, but they haven't experienced the marriage ceremony where they're together yet. So they're betrothed to one another, Mary, his betrothed wife, who was with child. So it was that while they were there, the days were completed for her to be delivered. I would think that that long ride from Nazareth to Bethlehem probably had something to do with it. I have heard of and seen some pretty crazy attempts to induce labor. You know, I we had friends uh, when Lori and I were younger and uh, one of the gals that we knew ended up drinking a great deal of castor oil to try and induce, uh, you know, birth. Uh, other friends that, you know, went on long four-wheel drive rides on bumpy roads and just, you know, different things to try and progress. I would think that this level of exertion would certainly contribute, if not bring on and hasten uh, the birth, you know, the days are complete uh, that she's going to be delivered. It says in verse 7, And she brought forth her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger because there was no room for him in the inn. Now, several aspects to that are actually very uncomfortable. You know, we have really uh, turned it into a very picturesque setting, uh, you know, something that is very Christmas and quaint, fits nicely on the, you know, cover of a Hallmark card. Uh, but uh, the inn in the day was usually a high-class inn, was a wooden structure round with open bays, more like a lean-to in it, and you were basically camping inside that. Because of the census, there was no room. I mean, what level of individual and innkeeper do you have to be to say to a woman that's about to give birth, no room for you? Um, you know, probably he's being thoughtful, really, when you think about it. For her to go through birthing a child inside an enclosed circle encampment where everyone else is going to be witness to your birthing process, ladies. And he says, I got a better place for you. You'll at least have privacy. And he puts them into the stables. Whatever reason motivates that, this is an animal shelter. And it's very, very crude. Uh, where he was laid in the manger is more the idea of what we can think of as a trough. So hollowed out, you know, usually limestone, you know, maybe it had been thoroughly cleaned even by Joseph and this child laid in it. But this is makeshift to say the least. Everything that they're experiencing is, uh, you know, not uh, ideal. Um, remember that, that the highest level of the Lord's plan, right? The birth of his son, the savior of the world is so lowly, it's hard for us to imagine. You know, have you, have you spent time in barns, you know, where animals are currently dwelling 
It's it's not sterile. Right? It's not clean, it's not fragrant, it's not pleasant and enjoyable. They they are in a place where God's plan is being carried out to perfection. And everything they're experiencing says our circumstances have completely fallen apart and we're in a state of utter failure. If, if you interpret uh, the view from an earthly standpoint, you can be left with the impression that you know somehow the whole thing has fallen apart. And it's the exact opposite. Re- remember that the next time... You know, you're sort of screaming your way through the circumstances. You're overwhelmed with the thought that surely God had a plan, but somewhere it came off the rails. The Lord is perfectly in control right here. And it continues with, you know, a seemingly complete contradiction as you examine what's happening here. So it says in verse 8, Now there were, in the same country, shepherds living out in the fields, keeping watch over the flocks by night. Shepherds, uh, generally speaking, it's it's pretty accurate uh, historically to say that they were completely distrusted. Uh, You know, it's the sort of thing that, like, if you couldn't get any other work, uh, if you uh, had done time, if you had been rejected by the community, if you were not especially mature, you were quite young, you you could get a job as a shepherd. It it is not a job that was given, uh, you know, to people with PhDs. That, to me, is uh, really interesting in regard to what the Lord is about to do here, right? If, If you, you know, and I know I'm not being original at all, it's commonly uh, you know, spoken of at this time of year. But if you are planning to impact the world with your message, with your product, with whatever it might be, you want a face to represent that that is super trustful. Think about the occasions where you know someone has been made the spokesperson of a particular product or company, and then they've been disgraced. You know, you discover something about them that's unbearable, and watch the value of that company just plummet, right? Here, shepherds are about to receive this message. So watch this. There are shepherds keeping watch over their flocks by night. And behold, an angel of the Lord stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were greatly afraid. Um, you know, we've become so desensitized to how magnificent an event like this would be. You know, Hollywood has done its best to, you know, portray all kinds of supernatural experiences that people, you know, have either literally had or imagined that, uh, you know, angel shows up and, you know, we as viewers today are kind of like, so what? You know, you really have to sort of let your imagination go and think about what this would be like to literally have an angel appear for before you in this way. How shocking it would be to have this level of experience. You know, there's there's really no way to illustrate it accurately. 
You know, I, I've read and seen and heard different pastors and commentators talk about, you know, imagine turning around and there's some world famous person standing there and how shocking that would be to you. That's got to pale in comparison to seeing an angelic being whose mere existence makes you look like a worm. You know, literally the comparison of yourself to the animal kingdom, a being that was created in a higher order than you, is suddenly in their presence and declaring uh, to them, Behold, the angel of the Lord stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were greatly afraid. I would think so. Then the angel said to them, Do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which will be to all people. For there is born to you this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign to you, or the sign to you. You will find uh, a babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. Now, this sign that the angel speaks of here is really remarkable in the same perspective I've painted moments ago. You would think that the Savior of the world, right, the King of all creation, would appear in a place that was magnificent, right? Send these angels to a palace, or send these shepherds, rather, to a palace, okay? You've chosen as the Lord to send your message to shepherds, number one. Then, as they're going to go and experience this appearance, rather than go someplace magnificent, rather than go someplace glorious, they're being sent to this manger, this lowly place and position. That's remarkable that the Lord would take these humble steps this way and make the presentation to the world through this manger, wrapped in swaddling clothes. This rags is literally what we're talking about. You know, these are strips of cloth that you know, some have made a big deal about uh, the swaddling clothes, but it wasn't entirely... Uh, uncommon to have rags that when a child was born, you would wipe them down and clean them with. So, you know, for whatever or, you know, through whatever means they've acquired all of this and they've cleaned the child off and wrapped him up in this. The point, as far as the angel speaking to the shepherds is he's not going to be in a glorious robe. You're going to know him because it's just going to be wrapped up in the rags of a newborn child. Think about, you know, the royal family and the birth of their children and the public presentations that go on and the way that they elevate and almost deify these children. And these shepherds are being told the savior of the world, the son of God has come into your presence and you're going to see him and identify him by his humble birthplace and his humble surroundings, his clothing, and his attire. It's a remarkable thing that's being said here in verse 13. Suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of heavenly hosts praising God and saying, before I move on, the term multitude means multiple thousands. 
So this is, you know, suddenly sort of the lights are turned on. The curtain is drawn back and these shepherds see what was there all the time. This massive host of heaven that is now declaring the birth and the message of Christ, glory to God in the highest and earth and on earth, peace, goodwill toward men. Two things. They make the declaration. We often say that the angels appeared singing, right? You know, angels we have heard on high, sweetly singing o'er the plains. Okay. It's okay to sing that. I'm not, uh, you know, beating that thought up, the, the Christmas presentation, uh, you know, the way that it is. It isn't uh, sacrilegious or blasphemous to say such a thing. Uh, but I want you to notice that in this passage, it tells us that they were saying these things. You know, when we uh, studied our way through Jude on Sunday nights the last two weeks, one of the things we noticed as Jude is warning the church about false teachers is that those men are always sensual. In their teaching, they are sensual. They appeal to the flesh. Okay? Uh, when, you know, the music is perfect and the lighting is just right and, you know, I don't know what, the pyrotechnics and the, you know, smoke machine is working exactly the way people want in order to create whatever they're trying to do and the crowd walks away, you know, wowed by the experience. I'm always quick to ask, when people have those experiences, I went to this church and you wouldn't believe their presentation. And they just, you know, the band was like a concert. It was amazing. And I'll say, what was the message about? And almost always, they have no idea. They can't remember. Often, they don't even remember the words of the worship music. The experience very strongly appealed to their flesh, but it didn't leave them with a knowledge of God. It didn't increase their relationship with the Lord, right? You know, when I talk to these people more in depth, what I discover is their perception of faith is not biblical. They're looking at it like I had a wonderful experience, therefore it must have been deeply spiritual. The scripture says, right, faith comes by hearing, hearing the word of God. It does not say that our faith is built or acquired by emotional experience. These angels show up, and, and I'll say this outright, they do not sing. Maybe they did sing after this. In this moment, they're not singing. The way it's written is very plain. It says right there at the end of verse 13, Praising God and saying. They're speaking. And what do they say? Glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace, goodwill toward men. Right? A number of years ago, I quoted the verse where Jesus said, I did not come to the earth to bring peace, but a sword. That a man's enemies would be those of his own household. That Sons would be pitched against fathers and daughters against their mothers and their mother-in-laws. And there would be animosity over Jesus Christ. Jesus didn't come to bring people. Well, then what's this mean? 
right here. Why did the angels say this? Well, the King James scholars did their best in translating this, and it's fairly accurate, but it would be more accurate if this statement here had been translated to say, peace on earth to men of goodwill. If you surrender your life to Christ, no matter how chaotic the world is around you, you will discover the peace of Jesus Christ. If you are a person who lives your life in opposition to God, and you don't have to be some, you know, kill the chicken in the backyard, uh, you know, Satanist to be opposed to God. You just have to do your own thing. That's all it takes. Just go your own way, right? Just sing along with Frank Sinatra, you know. I did it my way. And in the end, you've lived a life of rebellion against your Creator, following your own desires and your own will. If you follow your own will, there's no peace available to you. You won't experience it. It will be a life of torment all along the way. If you'll surrender to Christ as a person of goodwill, and the, the idea is literally of the goodness of God incorporated into your life. If you'll experience the goodness of God, then you'll experience that peace. This is what this heavenly host is saying to the shepherds that are listening. That if you'll become a person of goodwill, you will experience God's peace in the process. So much, I, I, I dwelt on that, because so much of what is written in the gospel is misinterpreted and then used in the church as tradition. And as Jesus said to the religious leaders of his day, you make the word of God of no effect by following your traditions and many such things you do. The religious leaders were nullifying the word of God by following their traditions. You know, I, I have a, a really hard time with the tradition of Santa Claus and telling children the lie of Santa Claus. I have a really hard time with that because so many of the attributes in the tradition of Santa Claus that are given to him only belong to God, right? He sees you when you're sleeping. He knows when you're awake. He knows if you've been bad or good, right? No, he doesn't. God alone knows that. And then there comes that moment where children are told, no, you know, Santa Claus is not real. So a being that has God-like characteristics was a lie. Thanks for nothing. And then we tell them, but, but God really is like that. And they're waiting for the day where, no, Jesus is just another mythical being, along with Santa Claus, along with Hercules, along with all the lies I've ever been told. I would say it's significantly important, right? Here's the thing. I, all three of my daughters, we have never lied to them about it. And I'm not one of those crazy people that maybe you've run into who, if you mention Santa Claus, 
you know, my eyes flip back in my head and we all get bloodthirsty and start screaming about, you know, infidel or something crazy like that. My kids grew up enjoying the tradition of Santa Claus, knowing it was just a tradition. I think I've shared with you before, some of you have definitely heard it. We had an occasion where we went and visited relatives. My oldest daughter, Christian, was just five years old. And we were having a wonderful experience at Christmas with family. And a knock comes at the front door. And everybody says to my five-year-old daughter, I don't know they have this plan. Who's at the door? You need to go find out who's at the door. They send her to the door. She opens the door. And there's Santa Claus, full-blown, at the door. And he's so excited to see Christian. Five years old, she welcomes him. Now she's bouncing off the walls. She thinks this is great. He's got presents for her, you know, puts her up on his knee, asks her what she wants for Christmas. She whispers in his ear. She's overjoyed. He leaves. Everybody's ecstatic. And my daughter, Christian, says, who was that? And everybody says, why, Santa Claus. And she says, yeah, but who was playing Santa Claus? And that whole room turned on me and my wife. I'm talking cursing and swearing. Anger and aggression. People were losing their mind. What kind of irresponsible parents are we? Brainwashing your kid. Brainwashing? I'm the only person in this room that's telling my daughter the truth. In every aspect. She enjoyed that experience to the nth degree. She had no problem at all. It was wonderful. Right up until everybody lost their mind because I was not willing to lie to my child. They're the ones that ruined it. Truth, right? Tradition can nullify the word of God. We want to be very careful about the traditions we hold. There are other passages in the scripture that confirm for us that angels can sing and do sing. I'm not implying any weird thing other than in this moment, the highest order of worship that these angels can offer is a proclamation of God's word. The son of God has come as the savior of the world. That's a great message. This is the greatest message. You don't have to sing it eloquently, right? You don't have to sing it in tune. You can bark it out however you want to. If, if you deliver it to the world, then you're accomplishing the same thing that these angels did for these shepherds. Look at what follows. So it was when the angels had gone away from them into heaven that the shepherds said to one another, I'm sure they said a lot of things to one another. I'm sure that the conversation was, filled with zeal and excitement and expression of disbelief and wonder. It must have been quite a conversation, but here we have recorded that they said, let us now go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has come to pass, which the Lord has made known to us. I want to dwell on that a little more in regard to the fact that God is delivering this message to these untrustworthy shepherds. And also, you'll take note as you move through the scripture that God delivers his message to women. 
Both of these classes of people within this culture were completely distrusted. Women couldn't even testify in court at that time in history. If they had witnessed some heinous crime and they were the only person, everyone in the community would act like, oh man, if only somebody else had been witness to that. Because she cannot testify. Jesus Christ announces his ministry to women over and over again. First, who's first at the tomb, right? Women. The willings. What a, what a blessing. What an example to us hard-headed, abusive, pride-filled men. We need, you want to talk about you know, social justice and all that's being screamed in our culture right now? I'll tell you, we need to function in humility, brothers. We need to be men who lead by, truly lead our families as the Lord has called us to in humility. Bowing our hearts, bowing our lives to Jesus Christ. Elevating the women and the lowly around us as Christ has done. His, his PR team, right? His marketing plan is to go to the shepherds. How ridiculous. That is the wrong plan as far as an earthly perspective goes. You know, I... So many examples in our culture of the people of low estate who have been affected by circumstances in profound ways, and they become a massive spokesperson for whatever blessing they've received. You know, the individuals who've cared for them and done for them. And who do they go to? The lowly, right? Yeah, I, I'm sorry, and I don't mean to offend anybody, but I've noticed since I was a child, every Christmas, Mercedes-Benz has their whole series of Christmas commercials. And as a child, I was immediately struck with, like, who does this really affect? You know what I'm saying? Are there really people in the world who see that commercial for Mercedes-Benz and think, I need to get myself a Mercedes-Benz this year? To me... It's, it's, it's more just like bragging. It doesn't seem like it's affecting. Maybe I'm wrong. I've never read any of the studies, but, you know, top of the line luxury vehicle, you need a television commercial to sell that at Christmas. I don't think that that's really pulling in the sales, right? My point, right, you in your humble place experience something wonderful and you share it with people within your same class financially and word gets around you got to try out this new restaurant you got to experience this new thing why it's been a blessing to you these shepherds right they're not the mercedes benz chariot crowd the message is for the lowly so jesus goes to the lowest of the lowly and now they want to see these things fulfilled. Let us now go to Bethlehem and see the thing that has come to pass, which the Lord has made known to us. And they came with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the babe lying in a manger. Now when they had seen him, they made widely known the saying which was told them concerning the child. And all those who heard it marveled 
at those things which were told them by the shepherds. People took it to heart. It wasn't just one shepherd. It was a group of them. And as they shared what they had experienced, people took it to heart. There's a sincerity, right? You can tell when you're experiencing somebody's sales pitch versus when you're talking to someone who has a genuine experience that they're sharing with you. The sincerity that's in the message, right? A PR man might perfect his spiel and be able to lay it on you thick in such a way that maybe you even sign on the dotted line. But the person who comes to you impassioned from sincerity about their experience, that's irreplaceable. That's irreplaceable. And brothers and sisters, this is the biggest reason your enemy wants you to shut your mouth. To not share. Don't speak, right? As I stand here and say that to you now, maybe you're thinking, like, I am not bold. I cannot speak in front of people. I start saying something and I just go beat red and I fall apart and I stumble and I stammer and my voice goes up, you know, 12 octaves and it's just, I, I don't know what to do. Well, I would encourage you to open your mouth and speak because here's the deal. Anything like that is going to require you getting over yourself, you know, you're speaking in public, and you're sharing your faith, and you are dealing with someone one-on-one -on, -one on a subject that's touchy, right? You want to blow the room up? Start talking about religion or politics, right? So, so you're nervous. So you stutter. So you stammer. So your face turns beet red. Is this not the most significant message in human history, you guys know the uh, uh, team of magicians, uh, Penn and Teller. Okay, Penn is a profound atheist. He uh, he's a polite man, but he speaks adamantly against the existence of God. You can look this up online. Uh, he's done it a couple times, actually. I've seen him speak about. He does, however, have a profound respect for people that will share their faith. His position on that is, look, if you truly believe this and hell is real, then how could you not possibly be completely you know, impassioned to share that with people? He, he makes the point that if you're not sharing your faith openly, I don't believe you. I don't believe that you believe. If you're not doing everything you can at every opportunity to share your faith with people and invite them into the opportunity of salvation and away from an eternity in destruction, then you're not a real person. You're not real in your faith. That, to me, was very convicting. To realize, here's a man that understands, right? He's a showman. He understands completely about selling you on an idea. 
convincing you that what he's doing, right, the illusion that he's performing is real. He knows how to convince people of what's going on. But he's completely insincere. He understands everything he's doing is a lie. He's convincing you of the magic trick. He understands the difference between showmanship and sincerity. These men come and they share their faith with everyone that they're experiencing. And they are sincere enough that everyone who hears them is convinced. They're convinced about these things. Notice what it says here at the end of this. Verse 19, but Mary kept all these things and pondered them in her heart, meaning she didn't understand them. We get the impression sometimes that Mary was a superhuman, that she was a saint in a different caliber. The scripture confirms for us that she wasn't, that she didn't understand the things that were being portrayed here. She stored them up. She kept them. She thought about them. That's a good encouragement to us, right? You, you may be very close to the Lord, and yet there's a passage of the scripture that when you read it, you go, I, I just don't understand that. That's okay. It's okay to just file things away and let the Lord answer them over time. Maybe the entirety of of Jesus Christ's birth is one of those things. Like how in the world? What you can see in the world around us is that everything that is recorded in the scripture is coming true, especially right now. When you look at the news and you see what's a coronavirus, everybody's got an opinion about that right now. I got my opinions. I'm sure you got your opinions, right? Is it this deadly? Is it that this? Is it one of those? My wife and I have had an experience, right? We, we were all sick, had COVID-19, went through the quarantine. We were away from this church, missed everyone terribly, finally you know, came back. My mother got sick on a separate issue. I had to literally call an ambulance and have her transported to the hospital. When they arrive, I'm telling the ambulance driver, look, you're going to see in the charts and stuff we've had COVID, but that's all more than three weeks ago. We went through the illness and the quarantine, and we're more than a week past all of that. So we're in the clear, and you're in the clear, and they take my mom to the hospital, and somebody opens up a chart somewhere that says she's still got six days of quarantine left. Oh, man, the world explodes. The ambulance drivers have to be sent home because they've been exposed to COVID-19 and the emergency room. And we straightened all of that out later. Okay. And everybody was able to, you know, continue working, keep their job. And there's foolishness, just the panic because of the opinions in the midst of it. One of the nurses comes out and tells us, I work in a nursing home, flustered. I work in a nursing home, and everybody in the nursing home, you know, here in town has already gotten COVID 19. There's 92 patients there, and we've lost 20%. But 20% of our entire population has died in that nursing home. Wait a minute. Do I do my math right? Because 20% of 92 is 18.4, right? So 18 people have died. In my town, 
that I'm unaware of. And so I go on the CDC and a CDC saying that in Hancock County, at that point, only 11 people have passed away from the illness. So I just dismiss that. And today I open up the Ellsworth American and I'm reading through that. And they're talking about another local nursing home. And they have 82 patients and 14 of them have died. And I go to the Center for Disease Control, state of Maine, and look up. And still it's saying that only 14 people in Han the entire county of Hancock. So who's right? You know, who do we listen to, right? The big confusion at the hospital about my mother arriving there was the fact that they're all going by a 14-day quarantine. But the CDC calls us up and says, no, quarantine's only 10 days. I say, okay, from when? <laughs> like when I got the test done, when I got the results back? When it, and they said, no, from the moment you first develop symptoms. From the moment you, if you don't develop any new symptoms, right, when you got sick, and I'm talking, I was in Eastern Maine Medical Center. When you got sick, from that moment, count 10 days. If you develop any new symptoms, right, if you've got fever and headache and all of that, and you go four days, but then start throwing up, well, that's new symptoms, so you got to count from there, 10 days. Everybody's confused. Hospitals saying 14, CDC's saying 10. You talk to certain people, they're saying 10 from the test. You know, 10 from when the results come back. Who's right? The opinions. My point in all of this, right? Legitimate. Masks, no masks. All this stuff. What I can tell you, and I hope you'll agree with me, is that COVID-19 has created two things that are undeniable. Massive amount of fear. No, right? I, I say that in certain crowds and they go, I'm not scared of COVID-19. You're not? Are you scared of the government? Yes, you know. So fear. COVID-19 has created fear and it has created massive exertion from all of our government entities robbing us of freedoms. Fear and a loss of freedom. That's not what Christ has provided us with. Christ has provided us with perfectly accurate information in his word that tells us this was going to happen. There's going to be greater and greater disease, right? There's going to be greater and greater governmental controls until ultimately the world's going to see one government. There aren't going to be nations. There's going to be one overarching government. And in the end, there'll be one overarching ruler of all of those governments, the Antichrist. My point within all of this is these shepherds and their simplicity heard the message from heaven and they openly received it and they shared it with the world. There's no greater time for us than right now to do the same thing, you guys. To receive the message that the Lord wants to give to us through his scripture. One week from today, we're going to meet in this room, if the Lord tarries. And we're going to look at the predictions that he's made about the end times. We are living in the last of the last days. Right now. You know, you hear people saying, oh, the vaccine is the mark of the beast. Let me just be clear. It's not. 
It's not. It is a precursor. It's preparing people for that. Right? They're literally talking right now about everybody's going to have to get the vaccine. And then everybody's going to have to carry a card with the verification that they've had the vaccine. If they want to have a job or buy groceries. Right? Get your Bible out and read. Revelation 13, see the mark of the beast there. Everyone has to have the mark of the beast on their hand or their forehead, or they can't buy or sell or hold a job or sustain themselves. We're, we're being prepared. The message of Christ come at his birth is the freedom from all of those things, the deliverance from them. And we are the recipients of that message. The message of Jesus Christ's birth is the message of freedom. Bound to sin, enslaved to our sin, destined to die and be separated from God in hell for all of eternity. Jesus Christ came and presented us with the opportunity to be delivered from that completely. We need to not only have our lives, right? So very often at Christmas time, people come to the churches to experience their faith. But when they leave, they don't take that with them and deliver it to anyone else. What a, what a horrible thing it would have been for these shepherds to hear that message and then go, well, that was a neat experience, and keep it to themselves. Mary is storing these things up in her heart, so that when everything is fulfilled, she's sharing it with the world. Whatever condition we're in, right? We need to open our mouths and we need to share with the world what this Christmas season is about. For most of our nation, most of our society, it's materialism. Nothing more than that. That's what it is. Gifts and presents and food Materialism. A lot of people are glad when it's over. Our message is different. Our message is Christ and what he came to bring as a gift and the deliverance that it provides. Amen? Amen. Let's stand and we'll pray. If you get an opportunity, look at the Gospels of John out front. Grab one. Use that to share your faith with who the Lord leads you to. Lord, we are blessed by your love and your grace in our lives. Help us to be men and women who overcome our fear, that would overcome being timid, that we would ask you for the strength of your Holy Spirit, that we would share with a sick and dying world the only hope that there is, your salvation through your Son. Build us into representatives of your kingdom. Mold us and change us that we would serve you with our lives. Lord, help us to reach out to our neighbors. Help us to reach out to strangers. That we would share salvation with them. Bless us as we spend time in fellowship 
this evening. Help us to build one another up and sharpen one another in the faith that we would be more effective for you in the church, in the world, in every setting that you place us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. God bless you guys.